0: Hi, this is Romy Neustadt, author of You Can Have It All, Just Not at the Same Damn Time. And you're listening to my quest for the best with Bill Ringel.
1: Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Romy Newstat. Romy is a former corporate lawyer and then PR executive who traded in the billable hour to become an entrepreneur, business coach, and speaker. She's on a mission to help women everywhere juggle the demanding roles of wife, parent, professional, and healthy human without losing your mind. Romy's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Success Magazine, and has appeared on major media such as Fox Business News and morning shows around the country. Romy lives in San Diego, California, and is here to talk about her book, You Can Have It All, Just Not at the Same Damn Time. Welcome, Romy. Thank you so much, Bill.
0: I'm thrilled to be with you.
1: It's great to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, Romy, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Without a doubt, Bill,
0: my dad was a
1: huge influence and inspiration for me. He was a
0: small business owner. He owned and, and ran a furniture store that was a, a multi-generational store. And we grew up in, in Butte, Montana. And I got to see him not only become a pillar of the community, but also navigate the ups and downs of a volatile economy in a mining town that went defunct And so while I was growing up, I really got to see how he handled the pressure and how he was able to continually make comebacks regardless of how hard hit the economy was. And he ended up putting four kids through college and really taught us to go for whatever we wanted. I think it's also really important to note that growing up, Bill, I knew deep down my dad wasn't doing what he really wanted to do. And he always would tell me, you have to go after what you want. I want you to go after your dreams because he was forced into the family business because he was the only one who could take it over. And and that really stuck with me and has through my whole life. I regret that, unfortunately, i lost dad when I was 28. So he never got to see the best parts of what I became and the incredible man I married and these humans that we created. But I like to think that he's always watching.
1: I I really resonate with that story because I realized how important it is from my own fathers experience, who also didn't do work that he wanted to do, but did work that was available to him. He would have loved to have been a forest ranger, and instead he worked in a chem lab.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's incredibly different. For my dad, it was this sense of duty over everything else. And he really taught us, it's one thing to be loyal to the family and to feel a sense of duty, but it's another to swallow your own dreams in exchange for that.
1: Yeah, it's illustrating a value of really standing up for what you made a commitment to do. When you think back on his lessons and to the amazing life that's unfolded for you through effort and through making your own luck and hard work, can you think of a time maybe early in your career where you were having a conversation with someone and they were asking you to do something that maybe wasn't in line with what your vision was and you heard him in the back of your mind or you would felt that feeling of him urging to really go for it and take on some responsibility?
0: What's interesting is I think I heard my dad most loudly when I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to leave a career that was no longer serving me, as you mentioned it at, at the beginning, I, I started out as a lawyer, and I did that, ironically, in part because my dad said, "You've got to have something stable to fall back on, no matter what." And I couldn't stand the sight of blood, so med school was out. <laughs> so I went to law school, and and I became a, a lawyer. I was a litigator, and bill I hated it i I just I meant to build people up create things empower people all of it and so when I was trying to figure out okay do I extract myself from this career that's no no longer serving what I want for my life or not I heard my dad's voice saying you have got to be true to you you have to you have to do this and that's when I was able to say okay no matter what anybody thinks I'm gonna listen to myself and I'm gonna make the move. And that's how I ended up just leaving law together, moving to New York and breaking into public relations, which then set me on a trajectory that one day would have me starting my own business.
1: That is really bold to take those steps and take that and to go from one profession into a completely different industry. What did you have to change in your mindset in order for that to take place in order to interview for something so far outside of what you had worked so hard to accomplish, not only with undergrad, but then taking the boards and Than working as a litigator.
0: So it's something that has carried me through my entire life. And it's the practice of listening to what is truly inside of me. I like to call it our heart voice, what it is that I really want, and not caring what other people think. Because that is what so often keeps us in careers, in relationships, on different paths, saying yes to things we don't want to say yes to. And even back in my late 20s, when I was making this career shift, I was starting to really flex
1: that muscle. It's really interesting. And it's important for listeners tuning into this to understand, it's not to disregard all voices, but just those that are telling you what you can't do. And to really amplify the voice inside you that says, this is what I want. This is what my ambition is, my goal. And this is what I want to focus on. Isn't that really what the distinction that we want to make here?
0: It is. And oftentimes, I think the voice most often telling us we can't or should shouldn't is the one in our heads. And it's usually us making up a BS story.
1: Give me a for instance.
0: So for instance, when I was going through the transition into PR, and then again, when I was going into the transition from a career in PR to starting my own business, I would tell myself, okay, what are people going to think? You went through all of this schooling with law school and law is such a prestigious profession. And now you're just throwing it away. You haven't even made partner yet. And I had to just recognize, I don't know what other people are going to think. And it doesn't matter. When I was leaving PR and starting my own business in the direct sales channel, I, I could have listened to the voices that said, all right, come on, former lawyer, PR exec, and you're going to direct sales and skincare, really? Being fearful of what others would think. But instead, I went with my heart, my gut, and, and allowed myself to be attracted to something that excited me and. Something that scared me, and I knew I was on to something
1: good. Why is it important to acknowledge that there was something that was scary about it?
0: Well, I've found throughout my entire life when I'm scared, that means I am stretching out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to be uncomfortable to grow. And, And I think when we identify when we're getting nervous or scared or wondering, are we enough? Can we actually do this? That's when we're getting to the good stuff. My entire life, when I look back professionally, it's when I leapt into a little bit of fear. That's what made me grow. And that's what made me find the next challenge, the next bit of fulfillment, the next use of my talents and experience. And it led me to all the things that I've been able to do. It was scary to start my own business, even though it was a turnkey business. Direct sales is a much easier endeavor than having to build an infrastructure from the ground up. It was scary to write my first book. And I didn't know if anybody'd read it. I didn't know if it'd be any good or helpful. And then to write my second one, well, what if they don't like it as much? What if it's not as successful? Everything, my speaking career, my one-on-one coaching, it's all been scary. And that's why I forced myself to do it.
1: We're a year into the pandemic lockdown. And in your book, you really acknowledge there are a lot of demands on each of us in different roles and aspects of our lives. I want to focus on your perspective as a woman business owner and a very successful business leader. What is it like from the women clients and students and Fans and followers and colleagues you've worked with about how this pandemic lockdown has affected this pressure on women. So that both women who are in business listening to this, as well as the men who want to support our direct reports, our managers, people who are our colleagues at work. What can we learn about this perspective about women and the pressures that are on women that you've learned?
0: Unless you've been living under a rock, what an insane amount of added pressure and responsibility the pandemic has had. On- most women. And the latest stats, I believe, are 3 million U.S. women dropped out of the labor force in the past year because of the increase in responsibilities, caring for children, schooling at home, everything else that goes with it. On top of that, we've become more isolated and we women need interaction. We need the collaboration and compassion and camaraderie, oftentimes of other women and our circle of friends. And the virtual world can do a lot, but there's something about getting together in person. So not only have we had an increase in these pressures, but also a decrease in the ability to have the desperate, desperately needed uh, connection. And, and I had no idea of this bill, neither did my publisher when we released my second book last year. These were all tools, women at any time in their life, all different women, but we had no idea how desperately these tools and my story and, and how I recalibrated my life would be essential to helping women navigate what we've gone through. And from my readers and from the women that I have the privilege of coaching, I coach tens of thousands of women in my business. There is no doubt that they have needed to really focus on what's important to them and have the actionable tools to relentlessly edit
1: their lives. We're going to talk about the editing in just a little bit. What I want to do is I I love how you brought up some of the very strong forces that prevent women in particular from taking steps and asking for what they need. And I wrote down the phrase, get past the hates and the should. When we internalize the things that we should be doing and don't check in, what is it, what's needed here? Can you give some more example and details around these obstacles that women in particular are facing and how to identify them as the blocks to really having the kind of fulfilling life that we can have regardless of the circumstances? Because circumstances are tough all over, but we can adapt right?
0: A- absolutely, Bill. Look, here. here's the big issue. Women today are suffering from an epidemic that is uh, is just unrealistic expectations. It's a pandemic of our, our own. We're trying to be all things to all people. We're trying to do it all and we're trying to look great. Wow, we're at it. And meanwhile, we are stressed out. We're exhausted. We're unfulfilled and we're not living the lives we wanted. And I know that because it happened to me. I was from the outside living this extraordinary life. I had this fast-growing business. We were hitting the tens of millions of annual revenue. I had these fast-growing kids. I had this amazing husband and, you know, looked like, hey, this woman's got it together. Then why the hell did I find myself in a hotel room having a breakdown? And it was because my life was controlling me with the added success and the added responsibility Responsibilities. I kept allowing things to be added to my plate and I was completely overwhelmed and overrun. And I knew that I had to figure out how to recalibrate the way I was living. And I gave myself, Bill, the greatest gift I could have given. And I don't think women do this enough. I, I allowed myself to run away from home for a couple days in complete solitude and gave myself the gift of time and quiet. To figure out what the hell it is that I wanted. And I was armed with some books and a laptop and my journal. And it was there in that hotel room that I had one of the most valuable epiphanies of my life. Not once, not ever in my then 42 years on earth had I ever figured out what my priorities were.
1: What was that like when it actually appeared for you, either on your screen or on a piece of paper, and you actually started pulling out of all of the things that were in your head and you said, oh my gosh, this is a priority and now I need to really treat it like a priority. What was that like? First of
0: all the epiphany that had to happen was I had to stop confusing priorities with goals. See my whole life I have been, and I'm sure you're this way too, we set goals and we slay them. My mom jokes that I came out of the womb setting goals and my whole life I've been confusing priorities and goals but they're different things.
1: Break it down for us how to think about them in the more effective way.
0: Okay, so priorities are the things that are most important to your life right now, present tense, they are not non-negotiable. Not serving them is simply not an option. Okay. So for example, my priorities right now in my life are I make healthy choices every single day. I spend quality time with the people who are most important to me and I empower and change the lives of women that I get to touch. Okay. So those are non-negotiable right now, present tense. Goals, however, are something different, that's something in the future that hasn't yet happened, but you're willing to work toward it. It's so important to you. Okay. Now here's the important part, Bill. It's the relationship between the two. If our goals don't serve our priorities, if we are setting goals to serve somebody else's opinion of us, or this holding on to a a former self that no longer is who we want to be, that's when we feel overwhelmed. That's when we feel unfulfilled and scattered and stressed. So the goals you set, you've got to measure them against your priorities and figure out, okay, which one or two of my priorities is this serving. And when I figured that out, it was the biggest aha, because then what that did with those priorities and goals, I had a roadmap of where to spend my time and equally, if not more importantly, where not
1: to. I remember reading that Jim Collins said that your stop-doing lists are more important than your to-do lists. Because in order to reorganize our lives this way, even if it's a couple steps at a time, it's vital to take things out in order to put the other things in. How is it that you manage to do that on a regular basis? And what happens with the momentum that comes from saying no to things?
0: Okay. So what you just said right there, that's the key. Okay. Because I I hear all the time from the women I work with, I would love to achieve my goals. I would love to do this and do that, but I don't have the time. No, you just haven't figured out what your priorities and your goals are yet. So it's about making sure that every single thing on our to-do list, on our calendars, on our plates is serving those priorities and goals. And I I always like to tell women, especially now with the rise of social media, you got to make sure your life is as curated as your Instagram feed. And and we're not living that way. Okay. So what I had to figure out how to do once I had the epiphany of, all right, I got to live with my priorities and goals. I learned that, all right, all this other stuff that's filling my life.
1: Give me a couple for instances.
0: So, saying yes to serving on a school committee, saying yes to serving on a board chair, agreeing to host the table at the charity event, agreeing to take on something in my work life that really wasn't going to add to my organization's bottom line or my ability to serve the people I'm supposed to serve better. It would have been an ego trip as opposed to something super valuable. So all those things. So I had to figure out how to relentlessly edit my life. And I'm an analytical girl. I like systems. I like a methodology. You do X and you get Y. So I came up with a way to look at every single thing I was doing, how to categorize it, and based on the categories, how to let go of it.
1: It's really important when you start to look at the systematic way that you want to align your life according to your priorities and values, that you have accurate data in order to track how well you're doing with it. And I love the example how you do that in your book you give numerous examples. Can you share how you've taught this to in any of the courses or classes that you run? How do you tell, how do you explain to someone how to start tracking this so that it's valuable, it's relevant, and it doesn't add more time to what you're already doing, but it's something that's really focused and actionable.
0: Absolutely. So I, I have the people I coach make a list of everything that you do in a week. And I mean everything and how long you spend doing it. It's like an eating log bill, but I call it a life log. And then in the you life get to- log
1: though, people aren't doing it at the end of the week. You're asking them to do it like hour by hour during the day so that things don't get lost or missed.
0: Oh, absolutely. You take it with you. And for eating logs to work really effectively, you have to log the stuff in real time as well. Okay. So this is real time jotting down exactly what you're doing and then you get to label it. Okay. So listen to these labels because they're very important. You mark P for everything that's serving one or more of your priorities. Those things that you've stated and unequivocally, they're non-negotiable in your life right now. You mark G for everything that's helping you get closer to achieving one or more of your goals. And then you mark H For everything you hate doing, you mark S for everything you think you should do. All right, now here's the good part. It's in the things that you're doing that you mark hate or should. That's going to show you what you need to delegate or delete. All right, remember the double D's. It's how you're going to free up your time and energy to focus on the things that serve your priorities and goals. Okay, now in these shoulds, the things you've marked S's, we gotta tackle those, and we women especially waste so much. Much time on the things we think we should be doing I should agree to volunteer to co-chair the fundraiser because they asked and I don't want to disappoint them who's done that and in
1: a business context how about some of the shoulds that many people who are managers many women who are managers thinking that they have to take care of others that it's really not their job and they it really doesn't serve their purposes goals and agenda
0: being at the lead of tens of thousands of women in coaching calls I will tell you and this happens in meetings I've heard all over the business world. Oftentimes our people who look up to us will come to us wanting something like a therapy session as opposed to a productive work session. And it's really important to understand that's not our job. We're there to help them see the possibilities of their professional life and to be a resource, but not to be a therapist. Also, and I remember this back from my lawyer days, this pressure to, oh, I should have lunch or I should provide FaceTime with my coworkers instead of actually finishing my project during office hours so I can get to the rest of my life. Got to do this cuz I don't want anybody to think I'm cold but you have to focus on what you need to get done what's most important to you so that you can get to everything else
1: And as you write these things down every activity that you do during the day and then label it with one of those four categories you can see where your life is and then what are one or two of the questions you take people through to assess whether it's aligned with where their purposes are
0: So here's what's really key is we need to get in the habit of checking ourselves for any time we say or think, I should, right? So anything that goes onto your should uh, category, that's a red flag. That's alerting us that it's something we don't really want to do. And if you deleted all the shoulds off your plate, how incredible would that feel? I want women to stop shoulding all over the place, right? Now, now the things that we need to delegate, I understand and, and this is so important. It can be difficult to, to let let go if you're a control freak. I'm in recovery bill. Or to delegate when it means you have to pay someone else to do it. That can be hard. you think, I haven't reached that pinnacle of my profession yet in order to justify paying someone else to do things like clean my house or handle my personal finances or someone even, as as I found through some of my coaching, women who wanted someone else to actually cook for them so that they didn't have to. This is why I teach everyone how to calculate what your time is worth, because time is our most valuable resource. And unfortunately, most of us don't know how valuable time is. I I, I was in law and PR bill, which were both ruled by the billable hour and inspired by that. I came up with a way to figure out what the hourly worth of my time is. And once you figure out yours, you're armed with mathematical proof that it makes economic sense for you to pay someone else to do things or delete them from your life altogether.
1: What's an example of someone you worked with who worked in a business and realized that there were a large percentage of her activities that could be delegated and she would feel so much freer if she took that step. And by calculating the value of her time, even women business leaders and entrepreneurs don't do this.
0: They don't do it. And it is one of the most powerful tools that people can arm themselves with. I love the story of Sarah who lives in Washington, State she is the owner of a sales business that that does you know about a, a million in revenue a year, and she's also the mom to a couple of really active kids, and she also struggles with some health issues. And she was drowning in everything that she not only had to do in her personal life, but her professional life. And when I had her do this calculation, and she figured out what her hourly worth was, and I have the way to calculate it in my. Book book bill, she was able to recognize, okay, wait a minute, my hourly worth is over $450 an hour. So it makes much more sense for me to be paying a virtual assistant $25 an hour to do all of these things that are consuming my time, all of the admin busy work that someone else certainly could do to free me up to do more of the things that only I can do in my business. It made more sense for her to hire A graphic designer to do the types of shareables. Yes, in Canva today, we can even design idiots like me can churn out great stuff. But the question is, does it make sense for you to do? And it goes outside of the professional realm as well. I I worked with Kelly, who is the owner of a very successful law firm. It's just growing like crazy here in, in San Diego. And when I took her through this exercise and when I encouraged her to turn turn off all of the negative judging voices in her head and turn tune out what her mother was telling her sister some of her other women friends she hired a chef to cook her meals she's a single mother of two and she said it was absolutely life changing because there was no way in hell as she said that she could possibly keep up the level of productivity she had to do at work be there be present for her children and still actually feed them all and she said it it, it freed her up and it also is like a muscle. Once she did that, she was able to make other choices that were true to her that made her life better. Okay, this is what it comes down to, Bill. I hear all the time and I've heard this for ever since I was a young professional. There's no way to have it all. You can't have it all. It's not possible for women. That never sat well with me. And the truth is, we can have it all. We just can't do it all. No one can. No man, no woman. It's
1: really the what you said earlier. It's about the epidemic of unrealistic expectations. That's right. Rami, when you go back and think about this, what did you gain when you made authenticity non-negotiable in your life? You didn't try to put up a facade. You said, I'm not going to care about what other people think as much as what I care about what makes me have a satisfying and successful life. What is it that you gained in terms of tapping into your own personal power and were able to accomplish once you said, this has got to be real for me?
0: Bill, without a doubt, what I was able to tap into and what I've seen countless other women tap into is our true power. When we stop trying to live a life that isn't true to us, when we stop trying to please everyone else and live up to this unrealistic, insta-perfect persona of what women should be able to do, that's when we actually tap into what we were put here to do, who we were meant to serve and actually have fun while we're doing. It. We all know women who are tremendous professional successes, but they're not happy. I was one of them. But being able to be completely authentic and not censor myself or my dreams, that's what made me find more people who I was meant to serve. When I emerged from that hotel room after the breakdown, and I was armed with all of these things that later on I, I knew I had to share with folks through another book, I was was actually better at my work. I was actually more focused and more effective with the things I was doing and my business grew even faster. I was better as a wife and mom because I wasn't going batshit crazy and I wasn't bitchy all the time. I became healthier because I not only was religiously fitting in exercise and making sure I was getting the right kind of fuel for my body, but I had also abandoned the emotional heaviness of having to carry all of these unrealistic expectations on my shoulders it was completely life
1: changing again it's looking at priorities and whether your goals are serving those priorities and really living it not just doing it as an exercise but really saying this is going to transform my life
0: bill it's important to do this work and i everyone i coach everyone i get to touch i encourage them to be doing this work every year and then checking in once a quarter to make sure that your priorities and your goals are aligned and also to really get quiet and and listen to yourself of what's working and what's not. Because this type of work isn't a one and done kind of thing. It requires vigilance. Once you start living your life this way, you've got to keep it up. You've got to keep checking in with yourself to make sure that things haven't gone awry. And you better believe it that when COVID hit and our lives were upended and the kids were schooling at home, and then my daughter and I got the virus, and I started on this long path to feel like myself again. I dug so deep on my priorities and goals, relentlessly editing like I'd never done before, and made damn sure that my focus was so intentional and so narrow. And I really believe it's never been more important for all of us to make sure we're not doing anything that doesn't support what we really want.
1: I want to just emphasize how crucial that is. And when People are ready to take responsibility for that and have a path to follow. Romy, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round?
0: Oh, hit me, Bill. Come on.
1: All right. We talked at the beginning of the interview about someone who inspired you growing up and you talked about your dad. When you were a teenager, Romy, what's a song that you loved?
0: Oh, I loved Hit Me With Your Best Shot. It was this empowering song. Oh, it was great. How does it go? With your best shot. Come on now, hit me with my best shot. Usually the shower's the only one that gets to hear stuff like that, Bill.
1: That was special for you. Thank you. Say, do you use a tool or system to help you stay on track and productive each week?
0: Oh God, yes. I live and die by this. Okay. So this is it really quickly. I want so many of your listeners to do this. All right. Every week on Sunday evenings, you can do it anytime on Sunday, but take time and map out your whole week. See everything that's happening there, personal, professional commitments, all of it. Get really clear and you slot in your most important things. And then here's what's super important. Look at everything on there. And if anything falls into the hate or the shoulds, that's what you have to get off. And it's the opportunity for you to once again think, oh, all right, is this something that I delete? Or do I have to find somebody to delegate this to? And then throughout the week, every night, before I shut down for the night and go into my personal mode, I look at the next day because things happen. They're what hits the fan, right? And sometimes you have to recalibrate and you get real focused on what the next day brings. That way, when you get up and you start moving the next day, you're not in review mode or planning mode, you're in, okay, let's tackle this mode. That system has worked for me so incredibly well. I preach it to everybody I can.
1: What is your one word and what does it mean to you?
0: So every year I choose one word. This was one of the first things, Bill, that I I discovered when I was in that hotel room, this concept of one word before it was a thing. And I pick it every year. and, And I also make sure that the word aligns with my priorities and goals. This year, my word is better I am committed to living better, serving my priorities better, tuning out the noise better, being in touch with my emotions better, focusing on my health better, and being the light that I want to be in the
1: world. And if you think back over the last year, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Oh, that's a great question.
0: This last year, what I stopped is in my professional world. In what I do, it's so visible. And so many people are looking to me for daily inspiration and for coaching. I had to get relentless about redlining every single thing that wasn't actually moving the needle. I had to redline the things that I was only doing because years ago, that's what I started. And that's what people kept expecting, but it wasn't, it still wasn't working. The weekly huge audio conference call, which then became a video webinar every week for certain training, it dawned on me that was no longer needed. It was expected. It fed my ego, if I'm being honest, but it wasn't moving the needle. And people sure as hell didn't need me every week when they had so many other things on their plate. So I cut it out and I only do them when there's something extra special and important that I need to talk to them about.
1: Romy, you have been so, so generous in sharing your ideas and experiences on My Quest for the Best. I want to thank you so much for starting off with sharing about your dad who made sacrifices in order to fulfill his value and his purpose in his life and his relationships with his family and had an with his urging to always go for what you always wanted. Thanks for sharing about the Heart Voice so that we could all tune in and listen for that to find out what we really want in life even more. You talked about, and I want to emphasize again, there is an epidemic of unrealistic expectation. And I hope that by listening to this, reading your book, and participating in your courses, people can get the vaccination they need to protect them from this epidemic. For these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you, Romy for joining. Me on my quest for the best.
0: Thank you so much, Bill. I had a blast. Keep putting out
1: this great podcast. Hey, Romy, before we say goodbye for now, tell me where is it that we can find out more about you and your work online?
0: Check out RomyNewstadt.com. Lots of resources and a blog, and I would love to have you part of the have it all community.
1: We will link to them that so that people can join the community. They can participate in the offerings and find out what you're up to. In addition, we'll also link to your social media and links to buy the book. Romy Newtstat, author of can have it all, just not at the same damn time. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best.
0: Thank you, Bill. Stay well.
1: Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com.